This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Uh, I've been I've been dancing around this topic, trying to figure out how to lead people to a, a sense of humanity at the same time, say the things that need to be said at the same time, not betray my heart and soul at the same time, not get canceled at the same time. It's been a pretzel uh, <laughs> twisting and turning into these pretzels, uh, walking a tightrope um, on these airwaves that I don't own and control at the same time. I feel like. Uh, humanity should be for all, like we should all care about that, but that doesn't seem to matter to people. They just want vengeance. And at the end of the day, you know, an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind, but I can't say that because if you kill my mama, I'm just, I'm not sleeping until I, mm. you know, like I feel, but you know, I'm still a work in progress. I'm not obviously spiritually evolved enough to let that go, but here we are. Here we are. I thank you. Thank you. This, this was a conversation that I, I've been wanting to have, but I didn't know how to have it. So you, you have. Uh, it's it's really tough. Like you asked me about how people feel about me. For the most part, people don't put it in my face. Like I did a 17 minute video on my Facebook. I didn't intend to be 17 minutes. But basically, I would, I mean, and, I, and it is fairly coherent. But I basically just said, you know, I was out front with people who might think, you know, I'm like, I'm not a conservative. I'm a progressive. I'm a liberal. I believe in I believe in those causes and values. But at the same point in time, um, you know, I have to tell you that I share my Jewish family with people of all different kinds of perspectives, colors, backgrounds, beliefs. Um. Part of what makes us a strong community and strong tradition, you know, people often say, well, y'all always unify. That's not always true. You know, there's a, there's a very American Jewish proverb that goes, two Jews, three opinions. <laughs> you know, and, it, and, 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 you know, yes, when it comes to serious matters, we, we come to a fair amount of consensus on the best course for everybody. You know, this past week, we've seen a number of Jewish organizations and Jewish people say, not on, not on my watch, not in my name, no genocide, no war. And I, that's, that to me is really beautiful and important. A number of colleagues and friends of mine have been a part of that. But at the same time, I don't want people to run around thinking that the good Jews are just the Jews who aren't, uh, you know, the, the term Zionist comes to play, okay? There's a, there's a huge spectrum out there. You know, of people on this issue of of whether or not you know what are we what are, how do we even move forward or if we move forward at all as a Jewish people in the land? Okay, there's a huge spectrum. Two Jews, three opinions. I might even gather on this issue. Two Jews, ten opinions. Mm-hmm. You know, no, for real, for real. But there's only yeah. the, but there's only space in our media right now for one opinion. So yeah. if we come back, let's let's talk let, let's talk about that. Yeah. All right, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Um, good morning. Good everything. Can you hear me? Uh, that car, all right, let me unmute. Unmute You unmute yourself because uh, I was yeah. trying to unmute you. I, was, I, I couldn't. Hi, good. Good all of the things. Good. Uh, happy, happy for everyone. Yes. Uh, happy 189 uh, in what class, Makar. We are, we are here. Hi. 
we are here good everything to everyone around the world met some nubians from other places in the world this homecoming week at howard uh sister brought her son he's checking out howard uh, they, she, he was raised in new hampshire but her father got a job in new hampshire at the university he came from kenya and brought his little girl with him so they said it would come into dc to check out how we must come sit in they went to see that debatey first and then they came to class so come good on. everything for everybody in the world let's be very clear what we doing in this project right here <laughs> so <laughs> how are you my my dear friend and sister and colleague i love you what's going on I love you too I, I am i'm well i'm you know that was I, I wanted to share something we had michael twitty on yesterday which you know is foolish as friday so i'm i had booked him because you know he's He's uh he's a lot, you know. This even before there was any any conflict. In, well, there's always been conflict, but before this war broke out, um, he was booked to come on to talk about, you know, not just kosher soul, but some of the things that he's working on. And you know, I like to let let our hair down on Friday and have a little fun. Okay. Uh, but he he came in with this energy, <laughs> and I was like, what? I mean, I understood it, of course, because you know he had on his yarmulke and everything. As always, and, yeah. So we started talking about the Housewives of Atlanta. But I was like, you ain't, you ain't mad about that. Let's let's really talk. So we we had this conversation, and it was I was surprised <laughs> at how candid he was. Um, and not that I don't expect people to be candid, um, but he was saying all of the things. And I and I I was wondering how the Jewish community, because he's Jewish, he's black, he's gay, he's you know he's. He cooks food, <laughs> delicious food. Right. Um, he does everything. He's all of the things, right? And and he was saying things that I haven't heard anyone say publicly, Dr. Carr. Anyone say on a platform like that publicly. Right, yeah. right, right. You know, oh, poor Alicia Keys almost got canceled for posting a, <laughs> posting a, just a, like, I'd like to hang glide. And then they're like, oh, you're with Hamas. I was like, what? What is happening here? This is it's a weird, wild, wild space that we're in. That you know, it's like we're you gotta you're either with us or you're against us. And you, and if, you if you look like you, you it's just, I'm like that. absolutely yeah. with us or against us. Uh, careful when you find out the us is a lot larger than the, uh, the with you with. Nope. I'm people should be careful now. This is the time for care. And Michael Twitty, uh, you know, respect that brother for that. So he just. He just let it fly. Yeah, he said two Jews, three opinions. And, you know, what what struck me about that is, you know, just like, you know, we have conversations around reparations or we have conversations around, you know, uh, politics, you know, who we should vote for. You know, blacks, not nothing's a monolith. We're all individuals having an individual experience. And that's, find, was. that's right. Right. If we find community that, you know, and, and even in community, we're going to have disagreements and, and be at odds over, you know, how people should proceed. And, and that doesn't make people bad or good. You know, you often say in, in things there's no good guys and, and sometimes there are no bad guys. You know, sometimes it's just it just is. And so so we as as humans have to figure out how to dance on this ball together and not kill each other. That's right. Um, and and if we end up killing each other, then, then there's nothing but the animals and they'll be happy. The and earth will be, will be happy. <laughs> be happy with that. Invasive species will have been purged. Yes. Purged itself. Yeah. I had I had Ida Rodriguez on uh today. Oh, yes. this, this week too. She was on. She's got a new book out. And um and she said, you know, we're the virus. You know, during the pandemic, the earth was healing, the waters were blue, the sky was clearing, animals were like, oh, we can we can come out now. 
we're the virus. And I was like, Ooh, ouch. And yes. Yeah. And yes, it's true. It's absolutely true. I mean, and we'll see whether or not we can, uh, either the earth is going to cure itself of humanity or human beings are going to prove to be something other than what uh, we seem to have been up to over the last hundred or 500 years or so. But in all fairness to humanity, yes, we're the same species or race, so to speak, if you want to use that language, we're all one race, one species, human beings. But uh, there are, as you say, many variations within groups and between groups. And uh, if nothing else, I think what we can say is that the last 500 years have been a massive and tragic mistake. And uh, some of us have acted very foolishly and, and appealed. And I'm not all of us, is in, not some of us in terms of individuals, but the, the cultural frameworks, the social structures we found ourselves in are not healthy for us and not healthy for the ball. But, I mean, hasn't it, technology notwithstanding, you know, when you talk about that, I think about the Crusades mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I think Most about the Ottoman, Ottoman Empire. You know, I think about, you know, things we, you know, recent Rwanda, uh, you know, Sudan, you know, recent recent genocidal ish, things that have happened. I, I think about the Trail of Tears. I think about, you know, like we've we've had as as humans on this planet you know iterations of of vast you know horrors and just um things that people would do to other people just because they are other well, right because we we figured out how to otherize and i think it's as modern as you know as as, as old as the maybe as people themselves you know others well i think that's how whiteness hides itself i don't accept that way at all this is what Jacob Carruthers is talking about in Science and Oppression, that ordinal classification. In other words, flatten all distinctions in time and space. And that's how every conversation that hides the worst impulses of human nature hides itself. They say, well, slavery has been around since the beginning. So when we, ah, time out, baby, time out. Chattel slavery like you did it? Nah, chief. Mm-mm. Don't do that. In other words, by, by, by making things universal, that's how the worst okay. nature of it can hide itself. So Thank you. We say, Thank we say well, of course. No, I'm saying, no we say Rwanda yeah. and Burundi. Yes, that is the worst impulse. Nobody can, 800,000 people, millions, the civil wars in Congo that come after that, all that. And then the question becomes, they've been fighting for a thousand years. No, they ain't. They've been fighting since the Belgians and the French came down there. Let's don't get cute now, y'all. Throw the rock and hide your hand. I mean, Palestine and Israel, let's talk England. In other words, I mean, in other words, you know, if you've been at each other's war for thousands of years, nah, chief, don't do that. Don't do that. Let's bring, they say, let's bring in the Ottoman Turks. Trail of Tears. Oh, yeah, them people been fighting Samuel Alito with his racist on with Christian soldiers behind, sitting on the Supreme Court, talking about they were fighting each other before the Europeans came. Nah, chief, your people were in Italy, but let's be very clear. That's Andrew Jackson in the 1830s. Don't get cute. Don't get cute. Y'all did that. The five civilized tribes, so to speak. How you call them civilized? Because you see yourself as the head of civilization. Then you drove those people across to Oklahoma and you want to act like they was beefing with each other. Don't get cute. The Creek are fighting the Seminoles because you set them up. Don't do that. So the, you, that's what Dave Carruthers says. What you, when you universalize it, whiteness gets to hide itself. Capitalism gets to hide itself. And we're going to strip them butt naked and leave them with no place to hide. So, so let me ask you, um, because even this which resonates and is true. Yes. The saying. Yes. The the education system has taught us these things, right? So mm-hmm. so so for the vast majority of us, 
what we know is based on what we've been taught to regurgitate Absolutely. and memorize Absolutely. to get a to get a pat on the head a gold star an a you know 1600 on the sat you know so so there's been a reward system for learning this this information that's right it that has been widely wrong that's right and and on purpose wrong mm-hmm. and you get rewarded for regurgitating it perfectly and the more perfectly the better your grade and the higher up you rate rise up in the echelons of, of society right you get yeah. to go to the best schools to get more of this indoctrinized uh knowledge right mm-hmm. and uh and if you're able to you know put your hand over your heart and because i i don't know the sam you know i don't know the sam alito even knows this i think oh, he, he knows he knows he's, he's, he's a knows, christian nationalist he, he's a he's a white christian well, i get that but i think his christian nationalism is codified in the things that he thinks he knows about the things that he thinks he knows oh so 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 how do we, and even sitting here, I'm, I'm fertile soil, you know, I'm ready to take all the good seeds, you know, I'm ready to take these good seeds in and plant something new, tear up the things that are not and learn. Right. Yes. But for most of us, and even if we talk about religion, Dr. Carr, if you start talking about people's good gods and you start bringing in facts, I don't even, I leave you, alone. You'll get in the fight and you don't even mess with that. But th- <laughs> that's how, that's how deep it's a religion. For well, people, actually, right? I think, actually, I take it in. And, and, and like any teachers, we do the same thing, the two of us and everybody in here who's a teacher all across. We start with what people know and we go to what they don't know. So when people want to talk about, you know, you know even with this uh, conflict, they say, OK, well, y'all know Abraham, right? Yeah, Abraham and Sarah had a son, right? Yeah. What's his name? Isaac. Oh, yeah, I went to Sunday school. No problem. And that was the only kid Abraham had, right? No. Another son. Oh, who? 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 Wait, I thought oh, Sarah only had one. But she couldn't handle nobody, right? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Who else? Oh, Hagar. Oh, hey, who's Hagar's son? Oh, yeah, that's Ishmael. Okay, that's who the Arabs say is this. And then, oh, no, no, we start with what you know. We'll go with what you don't know. We're going to start with what you know. And the same thing, you think Sam Alito would change his mind if he knew something else? No, well, because he, he, no, he, he wouldn't at this point because the change of mind, and for many of us, goes to religion it goes to you know even that thing of whiteness because uh you had tom hartman on this week had tom Mm -hmm. hartman on and and you know you know i I love to talk to people who read and stuff you know because i'm i'm here to learn absolutely so off mic i i asked him the question that i ask all people that identify with being white right because i i didn't want to bring tom hartman into a live situation where i knew he wasn't prepared for the question uh, cause I, I, cause I want to have him on, you know, like I want to talk yeah, about health care. Like I want, I want him to come back. Right. So no, I said, I'm not going to do this to this man. Cause no now I know even the most learned can't handle this question. No question. So, so I asked him, you know, Hey, so he's talking about, you know, the Republicans, Democrats, and we're getting into the economy and all of this. So off mic, we go to break. And I said, you, you keep talking about, you, you know, as a white man in America. Mm-hmm. And it, I said, so what does that mean? What does it mean to be white? And uh-huh. he was, and so he said, what does it mean to be black? And I said, so you, you nah. just did that. I said, so you just did that. And I said to him, I said, I'm only black because of this white power. There you go. That denigrates people and makes makes a lower class forever. There's the example. And then he sat back, right? Because he knew he had just stepped in it. Or, or he, he couldn't figure our way out. Because no, you, and he couldn't, and I didn't. I didn't want him doing this on the air because it's not pretty. It's not pretty to watch somebody who everyone thinks is, you know. And so when we came back, he couldn't let it go. He said, "You asked me a question off mic." I was like, "I wasn't gonna bring this onto the air," and he said, "And and he said, um, 
No, I'm, I'm wrestling with it. I said, yeah, because, you know, three-fourths of white folks segregate, so there's no way for you to get out of this construct, right? Because you willfully, I said, you live in an all-white community. And he was like, so, so we can't really have this conversation if you have put yourself in these places where you never have to even examine because he got into white privilege. I was like, it ain't that. It's a power structure that was created to keep you where you are so that you can not worry about being followed in the store not worry about your, you know, whether you're going to be rejected for a loan or whether you can buy a home or not in this neighborhood or that. It's built into the system. You never have to think about it. And you help it by by segregating yourself in all areas, your churches. your So, so we can't solve this if people aren't willing to remove the, the illusion of this thing, but it's a real thing because we've been in it, right? But it's yeah. a construct that allows you to yeah. demonize people, allows us to demonize one another because a lot of us have to carry the same anti-blackness. We want to run to the hills. Oh, I, I need to get out of this neighborhood with these people. <laughs> so I just, I'm, I'm like, I don't know how we, if, if it's so codified. So for Alito to even admit that whatever he thinks he believes is wrong is to say something about himself. It is woven into the into the DNA of people, right? So, who's going to say I, I'm giving up everything that I am and strip myself down and become something new? Who's going to do that, Doctor Carr? Apparently, that's what they want us to do. Mm. Right? I say mean, more. I'm, say I'm, more. I'm say more. All this. All this. Uh, I'll, I'll stop short of calling it silly and foolish because for me personally, it's silly and foolish. But I absolutely understand it. Um, so I won't call it silly and foolish because it is a result of socialization, but the idea somehow that the, which is why I still use the phrase, the American Negro, uh, I'm not talking about African people, I'm talking about the Negro, the Negro is a new thing. Hence Elaine Locke and them talking about the new Negro, although they did not mean it in 1925, the way that I use it today. The Negro is a, is a, um, is a, is a human being without memory who comes out of the trauma of enslavement. And for whom everything since then becomes a triumph over adversity. So our whole identity is adversity. What they want us to do is somehow bend and break and fold ourselves into this criminal enterprise and act as if it's a triumph. It is utterly absurd because for two reasons, though, well, for one reason, the conditions never change. You saw the brother who was finally exonerated and then uh, the, the paterola decided to take his life because I don't care if you get out of jail. I'll end your life here. It's not going to be a problem for me. And so, you know, and, and the simple fact of the matter is that that man's life was taken and the state that his life was taken in is still standing, which is a testament to the fact that we have forgotten that we will not exact, we would not exact any price. You can kill us anytime you want. You can kill us socially. Uh, you can be a, a, a non-binary uh, person at NYU Law School and make a statement on Palestine and they take back your job and they try to put, they put, try to put that uh, person out of school. Now this black uh, uh, non-binary third-year law student at NYU. Uh, you could be, in other words, we live in a society where if you can't punish somebody for disrespecting you, then you're going to get punished yourself. And what they want us to do is exactly what you described. What you did with Tom Hartman is, an, is, a, is a perfect example of what we were talking about a second ago, what Jacob Carruthers was talking about. In other words, when he tried to flatten the distinctions, what does it mean to be black? You were like, ah, see, I see what you did there. We're going to disaggregate this by time and space. It's exactly what Carruthers was talking about. And then he had to think about it, but you can't let it go. Why? Because, you know, if you let that go, you've let go your status. 
And that's what we are telling people. And let me let me to his credit, you know, he thanked me for teaching him something. And sure. he's not to me, he's he's somebody that actually has spent his life's work trying to uncover a lot of these, you know, inequities in all of these areas. But this is the one thing. This is the one thing that everything is born in. Exactly. Right? It's that the has to be uprooted. You know, anything else is just putting, you know, perfume on top of, you know, doo-doo. Exactly. It's just, it's just doing that. It still stinks. It still stinks. It still stinks. So uh, we're here this beautiful uh, Saturday morn, uh, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. And there's ho it's homecoming season, which I've never gotten to experience because I didn't go to an HBCU. Uh, <laughs> you are knee deep in it. You are knee deep in it. Wearing well, your in college. What what is that? What is that? This oh thing? no, this is a, you know I I am yeah. a, I'm a non-combatant in the HBCU nationalism. So this is the African American College Alliance. This is the old school. Remember when we were kids, college age. This is a the, uh, the brother who did this. You know he's back in business now. He's got his website up. So I don't you know I typically don't wear the national colors in different things. Although Tennessee State just signed to do a home and home football game uh with football series next year and the year after with howard and so uh the place i work is about to get a taste of uh of that work <laughs> but at any rate um eddie george is doing a great eddie george is who people thought Deion sanders was for some strange reason but at any rate thought he was okay, let me just but let me just that. <laughs> I, just want, I want to do that and i also want to erect the name of leonard cure who you mentioned the, the man that was in uh spent 16 years of his life behind bars for a crime he did not commit, got out. And because now the technology is what it is, they can see your whole life when they pull mm -hmm. you over. That just mm -hmm. happened recently. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how you know my uh, my <laughs> my registration's expired just from right. my license plate? Right. But <laughs> right. I'm like, what else do you know? But they already know when they pull you over that you are, you, you are formerly incarcerated. Yeah. yeah, and this hunter decided that he was gonna make sure that that exoneration didn't stick. So, uh, you know, yeah, who I dies and goes to hell? If there is a hill, perhaps he will then understand the folly of his uh, of his actions. But yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you for that. But yeah, no, yeah, I was. Um, this is the season of of homecomings, so it's the season of HBCU homecomings, and so you know, I spent last weekend, as we talked about in office hours, and as we talked about last Saturday, in between Montgomery, Alabama, and Tuskegee, Alabama. Very honored to be to join the family and, uh, and friends of Mariba Kelsey, 98 years old, who is the, um, as far as anybody knows, the last um, living on top of the earth um, founder of the chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha at Tuskegee University. So the office had their 75th anniversary and I saw something I ain't never seen before. We all did. Uh, Baba Mariba, who is the reason I'm sitting here, the Kelsey family, Reba in particular at the African Center for Study and Worship, which was in Columbus, Ohio, continues um, in, in, in another iteration. But, you know, I saw him get a 75 year membership pin. The national president of Alpha Alpha came, flew, flew in to put that pin on Bob and Reba. And I'm like, man, this is unbelievable. I ain't never seen that like this. And so it was a blessing because, he, you know, he, he he's a Tuskegee alum. And, you know, my mother, as we've said many times, is from that area. And it was a beautiful thing in office hours, those folk who are uh, on the Nubia side. You know, when we had a conversation, and Brother Eric came in, who was from down there, who had just, he had just been down there with his family for family reunion. And uh, talking about the Tuskegee Human and Civil Rights Multicultural Center 
um, talking about all the, the things down there. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But I want to spend some time thinking about last week. Um, didn't get a chance to spend as much time down there in that trip as I would, you know, we all would have liked to. But three days and then just being thoroughly immersed in this, the first capital of the Confederacy. Uh, three days and, you know, we took a minute and went over to the Alabama State Capitol to uh, pay our respects to the statue of Jefferson Davis. And I think you all know me by now what I mean by pay my respects. I paid my respects many times when we go to South Africa to the statue of Cecil Rose. Can't pay my respects anymore. He's gone. But definitely paid my respects to the statue of Jeff Davis, which uh, stands right outside the governor's office at the Alabama State Capitol that was erected by the United Daughters of the Confederacy in 1940. And uh, they also have a star, a six-pointed star. It looks like a a star of David that is actually in the ground on the exact spot um, where uh, Jefferson Davis took the oath of office to be the president of the Confederate States of America. It's in bronze, a a six-pointed star in the floor down from the statue placed by the Sophie Bibb chapter of the Daughters of the Confederacy. That's there. So went by there, paid respects, of course. And then uh, down the hill, imagine this. Those of you who know Montgomery know the capital of the the Confederacy. uh, The the Alabama State House is there, littered with all this kind of old times there and not forgotten stuff. And of course, old times there and not forgotten is going to be important in about 10 seconds when I mentioned that when you come down the hill, not even really a true block from the Alabama State Capitol, on the right-hand side of the street sits the Dexter Avenue King Baptist Church. It's called Dexter Avenue King now, but of course, when Coretta and Martin King were there, it was the Dexter Avenue Church, still an active church. Uh, with all the signage, people go and, you know, we're there, and we paid our true respects there in the governance formation. In other words, you pause, you know, you, you think about what happened in this spot. But imagine that, Alabama State Capitol, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, a block, not even a true city block up here these days in New York, not even a New York block from the Capitol. You come outside, you could probably yell and somebody on the steps of Capitol could hear you. But in between those two things, there's another monument on the same side of the street Dexter Avenue is literally across the street from Dexter Avenue is a pillar of marble. And it says here on this spot. Talks about Jefferson Davis coming in to be the president of Confederacy. And it says this is the spot where Dixie was played in public for the first time. Erected by the United Daughters of the Confederacy in 1943. And of course, the Alabama, the Alabamans, the white nastiness down there. Shout out to Kay Ivey. Oh, Kay Ivey, the governor of Alabama and her friends. They building a billion point three dollar jail prison facility <laughs> in Alabama right now. In the vicinity of Montgomery. A billion point three dollars. One point three billion dollars prison the industry there and uh i want to talk we talked about montgomery last week and i'm gonna get to yeah that, that, i didn't miss that they spoke bill two but they've already gone over for the price for the first one billion point three you talk about throwing a rock and hiding your hand mm-hmm. and um daughters of the confederacy the all of the amy coney barrett mm-hmm. i feel as if white women um I shouldn't have called them that. I should have called them what they are today. The um, Moms for Liberty. Moms for Liberty. No, Moms for Liberty. How how insidious is it? Because, you know, women, you know, we we, we have a special, you know, 
special place in our hearts, you know, <laughs> except if we're, if, if they're in anyway, um, Dr. Carr, is this, is this also strategy? We, we have moms for Liberty, daughters of Confederacy, Amy Coney Barrett, these the, the women that they're, they're the ones, Sarah Suckabee Sanders, you know, they're the ones push, pushing uh, hard. Yeah, uh, her, her is, a, is tackling the big issues in our hard. Oh my goodness, is this, is this on purpose? Buck, buck, knuck if you buck, huck a buck. Yeah, Yo, of course it is. I mean, they, uh, look, I, look, I got all the room for them, all the room in the world, because see, what these people are gonna have to understand ultimately is we gotta roll over them like the ocean. I don't mean physically. I mean culturally, intellectually. You can't make peace with evil. You've got to el eliminate it and eradicate it. And I'm not talking about that in a kind of religious sense or in a kind of moral war sense. I'm saying right is right and wrong is wrong sometimes. As John Clark said, as you said, in some stories, ain't no good guys. Life is full of those contradictions, full of those challenges. In fact, among the Yoruba people, this is why when we look at the Orisha Esu, Eshu, uh, you know, when you look at Eshu, Eshu isn't good or bad. Eshu isn't evil or good. Eshu is a, a kind of a, a, of an expression of uh, is an icon of our continual struggle as as humans to balance our worst impulses with our better impulses. As they say in Oduifa, I mean, you know, one of the reasons we're on Earth is to work on our character, our Iwa, our character. The ancient Egyptians said the same thing. When you see the Battle of Heru and Setek, who the Greeks call Horus and Set. You know, a battle between ostensibly a nephew and his uncle, and they say, Well, Set is evil and Horus is good. Don't do that. See, y'all always coming in trying to shrink down the reality. The reality is that we all have those impulses. And I don't, I understand the daughters of the Confederacy and Moms for Liberty. I embrace their humanity because their humanity is my humanity. We have those impulses. But as you say, they have been miseducated. They've been miseducated like Bill Maher been miseducated or Samuel Alito has been miseducated. They've been miseducated into something called whiteness. You know, Bill Maher's people come, his father come from Ireland, his, his father's people from Ireland, his mother's people from Hungary. And so now he thinks that somehow he can dictate to people of African descent how we should resist our oppression. I'm not mad at Bill Maher because I understand that he is no longer Hungarian. He's no longer Irish, although he can claim both and nobody have any blink. He's a white man. And anytime you start with I'm a white man, you have erased any possibility of us embracing our common humanity in the social structure because you put race at the center. Same thing with ACB. You got to got to end up with the handmaid's tale once you embrace that narrative. And same thing with Moms for Liberty or the United Daughters of the Confederacy. When you've embraced whiteness, then you your job as you have constructed gender within that whiteness is to be the defender, to be the protector. But you're not embracing it in the way that African people, when you look at the ancient Egyptians, for example, when we were in Kemet in the first two weeks of August, we, we visited one of the sites, one of the places, and uh, there at the temple uh, for Hetheru at Dendera, there's a small um, statue of the Necher Bess, B-E-S. Bess is seen as the Necher that helps make birth easier. And by making a woman laugh, because, you know, birth pains, obviously, so Bess is the is the nature of laughter in that particular in, in that particular function when a woman is giving birth. And as we were standing there, uh, Baba Abdul, one of our guys, as we were all in conversation about this, because, you know, one of the things we love is having our guys. They don't have to do all the heavy lifting because we've studied for a long time before we come. So it's more of a conversation. He was talking about the various manifestations of uh 
what is attributed to feminine energy in the Nile Valley. And we know that shifts over time, but one of the constants is the, the, the nature Aset or Isis. He was a relative, of course, of Hetheru of, of Horus, uh, Hetheru of, of, of Hathor, as the Greeks would call her. So you see sometimes the cow horns and the solar disk when you see, and you say, oh, that's Hetheru. No, look very closely. Look, read the glyphs. That's Isis. That's Aset as Hetheru. So you see the two combined. But anyway, um, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I'm just going to finish with this. The idea of the feminine in that space, represented by Aset in certain moments, at times, she is a lion or a lioness. She's a protector. At times, she's a cat. She's minding the children. She's kind of going around to make sure everything's okay. At times, she offers her breast to feed the child. The different manifestations of what a female will do for her children is manifest in these narratives. Now, what you don't see her doing is screaming until a neck vessel bursts and saliva coming out her mouth and her eyes all wild and crazy and her hair over the eye trying to yell at a six-year-old Ruby Bridges or the Little Rock Nine or standing up in a school board meeting where she ain't got no children in the damn school at all saying, take them books off the shelf. You don't see a set or Heteru doing that <laughs> because you see in this context, in this social structure, what that woman is doing, which is consistent with women throughout time and space, when you localize it in time and space, what she's doing is protecting something very dear to her and dear to her children. What's that? Whiteness. Whiteness. They got to defend that. And so I understand it, but I also understand that you must be rolled over like the ocean now, baby. We got to roll you over and remake you in the image that you should aspire to, which is your fullest humanity, because you got good and bad in you like all of us. And we got to somehow help you get over that. And we're not going to help you over there by coming to the school board meeting, punching you in the face. First of all, we're going to jail. I shouldn't say first of all. Let me let me temper my own impulse. Second of all, we're going to jail. First of all, if everybody fighting all the time, that means everybody going to be fighting all the time. The Amu, as it is said in the, in the comedic text, you go back about maybe we're talking about maybe 3,500 years ago. So about 1500 B.C., between 1500 and 2000 B.C., uh, Mary Kare, it says, Lo, the, the vile Amu. The Amu is a group of people who are nomadic. It says, um, food propels their legs. Short of water, short of bread. They fight since the time of the Necheru, of Heru in particular. In other words, they've been fighting eternally. Why? Because they ain't got no place to live. They're just moving around, fighting, 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 fighting. And so you got to be careful with people like that. People who are fighting all the time have a fighting mentality. The Daughters uh, Moms for Liberty, I'm sorry, let me say it right. The Daughters of United Liberty or the Moms for the Confederacy, we might as well conflate them at this point for the point I'm about to make. They're fighting to preserve something that was created with the settler violence that created the United States of America. And so it's no, it's no accident that when they all read their Bibles, this let's call it a big convening, the UDC and the Moms for Liberty, when they read their Bibles, they're looking at what's going on in Israel and Palestine. They're looking at what's going on in Gaza and the West Bank. They're looking at what's going on in the region as this is prophecy, you see, because this has to happen. And, you know, it's going to be the rapture. Jesus coming back. I ain't mad at y'all because that's your way of knowing connected to your governance formations. But your governance formations came out of a social structure that has racial capitalism at the center. You have no choice. And meanwhile, the people who profit off you and are laughing at you, who you know, 
tell you what you need to hear so that you can go out and vote for them. And they sit in the federal legislature and damn near put an insurrectionist in as Speaker of the House this past week. Those people who are laughing at you, who are on television saying things because they know you want to hear them. And then when all the cameras go away, they say, Jim, Jim, Jim Jordan crazy as hell. We ain't about to vote for him. I, I got to vote for him. Why? Because if I don't vote for him, them hillbillies we done stirred up for a thousand years ain't going to vote for me. And I like my stipend. I like my benefits. I like my health care. The same thing you're driving everybody else. Yeah, but we ain't going to worry about that because these hillbillies too stupid to see what's going on. Those people continue to profit. And so the whole system is based on ignorance. It's got to keep people ignorant. So yeah, this, 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 this past week, and then, you know, this is this is October now, mid to late October to November is the season of homecomings. And anybody who is around a historically black college over the next few weeks, beginning a couple of weeks ago and continuing through now, uh, Howard is today. Of course, we saw and we continue to hold the family in our prayers and in our best energies, the people at Morgan State and Bowie State here in nearby Maryland. Uh, like I say, Tuskegee was last week. Um, Morehouse and Spelman is next week. The Atlanta University Center, Baba Omo and Dr. Black and them. You'll have Clark and Morris Brown coming online. Um, Tennessee States was last week, same as Tuskegee. So I wasn't able to get down there, but you know, a lot of friends and family who were down there had a good time. But all of th these are moments of convening in our governance space. And what I did last week before oh. you before you continue what what is the origin what is the origin of homecoming when it... well that that that's where it gets very interesting i think homecoming well first of all universities do homecomings football game pep rallies alumni come back it's usually oriented toward the students and toward the alumni when it's oriented toward the alumni it's usually around not just coming back to reminisce about your college days it's also uh, about raising money so Ohio State has a huge homecoming, USC homecoming. These kind of things are important. So let's put it in the kind, let's talk about the social structure there for a minute. <laughs> Cultural meaning making. I'm thinking about our Africana studies framework for those who have joined now, you know, our conversation who may not have been there when we are articulated this many times, but we know there are six conceptual categories in our Africana studies methodology, social structure, governance structure, ways of knowing, science and technology, cultural meaning making and movement and memory. Thought about a moment of movement and memory on uh, on Friday night in Tuskegee when they sang the fraternity hymn. I don't get a chance to sing the frat hymn a lot. Dr. Beatty, who is the campus advisor of Alpha Phi Alpha, actually at Howard, he sings it. In fact, they'll probably sing it today at Howard Homecoming. They'll be on the yard. I don't know if I'm going to make it down there for that. But uh, that's usually the one time a year I might, if I'm around, sing the frat hymn. But I sang the frat hymn, and I got to do it while uh, linked up crossed arms with Marie Bukowski. Here he is, this 90-year-old man, the man who, my Jegna, one of the great master teachers. And uh, there's a line in there thinking about homecoming, HBCU homecoming as distinct from the uh, homecomings of HWCUs. And HBCUs have the same things that HBCUs have. In I mean, HBCUs have the same thing that HWCUs have in terms of homecoming. And then there are a lot of things that the H wcus don't have and just standing there with with uh with dr kelsey and then you know we hit that line college days swiftly pass imbued with memories fond and the recollection slowly fades away are we now 
Epae, fraternal spirit bonds, may they ever abide and with us stay. Let me go into the refrain. But I've always liked that line at the beginning. College days swiftly pass, imbued with memories fond, and the recollection slowly fades away. When you hear the sorority and fraternity songs of the Black sororities and fraternities, not just the Divine Nine, the so-called Divine Nine, so not just the Alphas and the AKAs or the Deltas and the Omega Psi Phi, the Qs, not just the Kappas, not just Sigma Gamma Rho or Zeta Phi Beta or Phi Beta Sigma, not just Iota Phi Theta, but also the other associations. All of those associations come out of, if we're looking at them from governance, a governance lens, they come out of the associations of African people before we ever were put on boats. What Dan Black is writing about in the coming. What Howard French is writing about in Born in Blackness, what Aikwe Arma is writing about in The Eloquence of the Scribes and the Resolutionaries. These are practices of African people that we had with each other, who we are to each other, our ways of knowing, community before the individual, service above all. This is the form of our cultural meaning making in our songs, in our dance, in our movement, the ring shout. The electric slide and hand dancing and all of it and wobble baby wobble all that stuff you look at and you see the ring shout coming out of enslavement but before the ring shout you see the rituals of community everybody got to sing everybody got to dance so this this kind of empties into a social structure that is alien to us these greek letters even though the greek letters come out of the egyptian letters we didn't know that but when we adopted those letters, places like Cornell University in 1906 for Alpha Phi Alpha, places like Howard University in 1908 and 1913 for uh, Alpha Kappa Alpha and Delta Sigma Theta, uh, later on Phi Beta Sigma and uh, Zeta Phi Beta, I mean, places like Indiana University for Kappa Alpha Psi. When we, look, when we adopted those Greek letters, we didn't adopt them to become Greek. People make that mistake, particularly YouTube scholars and others who think they know something and haven't really studied. It's I am black Greeks. It ain't no such thing. I'm not a Greek, bro. I'm an African person. And I put on some Greek letters at one time in my life. And every once in a while, you might catch me putting on, like I did when I wore my hoodie to Tuskegee's uh, uh, graduation, uh, Tuskegee's uh, football game. And by the way, I don't know how y'all let Edward Waters beat y'all, but that's a story for another day. I ain't mad because, you know, I don't want Frank Reed and them boys and the bishops of the AME Church mad at me because those are my friends and brothers and I love them. I swear, though, that AME school came up the road from Florida and beat Tuskegee on the last second play. But by then, Negroes were so full of uh, corn, roasted corn on the cob and barbecue that I think probably the game outcome was a little less disturbing because by then, the true meaning of homecoming at HBCUs had already blossomed. And this is where I'm going with it. Here's the difference. HWCUs don't have step shows unless they got some black people. They're going to have a step show. The step show is the ring shout meets the Greek letter organizations. You got to have it. Generations were introduced like a lot of folks were to those step shows when they watched school days for the first time and saw Spike Lee, that son of, uh, Georgia by way of Brooklyn, whose people are from Alabama, uh, Snow Hill Institute, right down the street, not far from Tuskegee. But that but that, that step show is a convening. That's the big thing, HBCU homecomings. These Negroes will have a comedy show or a gospel show or both. They ain't going to have that at University of Chicago or Columbia unless it's a black student union, at which point they're going to put together a, a comedy show, a, a gospel show. Our brother Roy Wood Jr., that great graduate of, of course, the Florida Agricultural and Mechanical State College for Negroes, 
fam you fam you now university he know about them comedy shows charlie murphy got roasted in louisiana i think it was uh gremlin i guess the students booed him he said i tore up the check y'all can have y'all money okay but you on the hbcu comedy show circuit you often see those in, in, in both chats, in the Nubia chat and in the YouTube, for those who are not yet in Nubia, I'm sure people are putting these things here on their reminiscence of those moments. There's the yard rituals. You got to convene on the yard. The yard meaning whatever the quadrangle is or the patch of grass is or the collective space is where people hang out on the HBCU campuses. Ohio State has a beautifully manicured lawn. I walked in and out of that library, that 24-hour library, many a night between law school and graduate school at Ohio State University. Temple University is an urban university. It doesn't have those big patches of grass, but it does have gathering places, and that's very nice. But it's going to be the Black Student Union on those places that will convene. Other people, they kind of come and go, and they may have a rally. But during homecoming, the yard becomes collective property, common property. That's an HBCU thing. So when you see the yard, when we were at Tuskegee, them Negroes out there, look, if there were 10 black people, I guarantee you half of them didn't go to Tuskegee. They just on the yard because Tuskegee homecoming. And they may be wearing Tuskegee gear. They may be wearing Jackson State gear. They may be wearing Tougaloo College gear or Tennessee State gear or Howard gear. But they are there because the yard now is a convened black space. It is a governance space. The cultural meaning making is taking place. Also the movement and memory because alumni coming back. So I'm watching people. We watching people doing the line dance and they doing the wobble and they doing that. Now I'm looking at these people and I'm like, I'm so glad that Tuskegee, one of the things they're known for is medicine and healthcare. <laughs> and that there's a VA hospital down the street. <laughs> because as I tell my students every year, I said, now when you come out here with your pop pop, who pledged Omega in 1973. And he decided that he's once again 22 years old and hits that step. Know that Howard Hospital is right down the hill, Georgia Avenue. <laughs> so that while you don't be embarrassed now, just, you know, kind of go in, but tell him don't overdo it because we don't want nobody with no slip discs, no ruptured something, something rolled up the back of your leg because you hit the step a little too loud. You done bark so loud. You done lost your voice. Everybody calm down, but they are going together around that sundial these sons of blood and thunder. Ain't that right, Reverend Jeremiah Wright? A good son of blood and thunder, member of Omega Psi Phi fraternity, and many a year homecoming at Howard, coming through his alma mater to participate in those rituals. I mean, in other words, that that, that those yard rituals, they had yard fest, they had the concert over there yesterday at Howard. They always, who come in the yard fest? Who come to the party? Who come to the party? You see it in real time. This is usually around Friday because it's a week long of events. Then you have the game. The game is a little tricky. The game is tricky because, you know, people are interested in the game, particularly the deeper south you go. You start talking about the rivalry games, right? I mean, so it's not homecoming week, but you have a Bayou Classic field, you know, Gramlin versus Southern. But you're going to have, you know, and you usually try to schedule somebody you can beat, Tuskegee. Oh, my goodness, Golden Tigers. But, yeah, I bet y'all could beat Evan Waters. Now, Tennessee State, we won our homecoming. Um and, you know, it's not unusual. I think we schedule, not schedule Howard for homecoming in 2025 when they come to Nashville to get that work, to get that work. But at any rate, um, yeah, Eddie George, I hope he's still around because uh, he definitely, you know, definitely building something down there in Nashville. But the point is that this is a convening where you celebrate the game, you want your team to win, but you want your band to win first. Now, Ohio State, Michigan have great bands. 
uh, they're not my taste, you know, they're social structure bands. And every once in a while, they try to steal something. And I do say steal, not borrow, but steal. Uh, shout out to Louisiana State University that plays talking out the side of your neck in the stiff style that you would expect from Hold That Tiger LSU. But they've been listening to Southern University for a long time, but you ain't never going to be able to do it like Southern University. At Tuskegee, their signature song in the uh, Golden Pipers band, of course, is a song called Ball and Parlay. I love Ball and Parlay. They sell ball and parlay t-shirts in the bookstore. But what is ball and parlay? Well, Professor Hunter, you remember, and his book just came out, Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself Again, the memoir, of course, of uh, Sly, Sylvester Sly, uh, in Sly and the Family Stone. Um, if you want me to stay, I'll stay around today to be available for you to see. Of course, if you want me to stay, I think it was 1973. Well, best I can research and listen to people talking about this as they get into arguing, HBCU bands don't buy their music at the store. They listen to the radio or see what's popular. And then the band directors and the students who write music and arrange music set out to bring the radio to the football game. So when you hear HBCU bands, they're playing music they wrote based on music they know. And everybody got their signature songs. Everybody plays talking down the side of your neck. Nobody does it better as far as I'm concerned the Howard Showtime marching band because they put the go-go beat in, had the good sense to bring D.C. So when you hear them play talking out the side of your neck, the old cameo song, they got, they got the bongos in, they got the percussion in. It's a beautiful thing. Everybody plays other versions. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I go to JSU. No question. The I love with two E's. I ain't mad at Jackson State. Jesse State plays the same song. We all do that. Different people, we all play various songs. Now, in the case of Ball and Parlay, you know, best I understand that some of those Southern bands, particularly Texas bands and other bands, picked up Ball and Parlay in the 70s. But then an artist who recently made transition, Big Pokey, Y'all know about screw music down there in Houston and, and places like that. So, you know, when we get into that Slim Thug and all them boys, even the white boy, Paul Wall, you know what I'm saying? All them, you, you get it. So Slim Thug, who just made Transition, he made, he took that beat. They looped that. And he made, you know, when it's sunny or gray, we gonna ball and parlay. And then he starts talking about various forms of inebriation and, uh, what we gonna do? Ball and parlay basically is not even code, but a signal for we about to have a party. We're gonna ball and parlay. There's different ways to interpret it. Ball meaning we're gonna ball out. We're gonna go big style, popping bottles. Parlay may mean talking. We're gonna ball and parlay. But there are other, you know, other interpretations of it. Well, anyway, somewhere Tuskegee picked up the big pokey song, and they now play ball and parlay and have been playing it for years. But they play it and their lyrics have to do with the marching band when it's sunny if it's sunny or gray we gonna ball and parlay uh, we get crunk every day that's the tuskegee way so take a seat if you're alive marching hard eight to five eight to five means when you're in a band you got five yards you got eight steps to make the five yards you're going on the rhythm one two three four five six seven line one two three four five six seven line so marching hard eight to five it's a beautiful song it's a beautiful song and when they play ball and parlay 
the crowd goes crazy. They up under what they call the shed at Tuskegee. There's a shed with TU on the and that's where the band sits and a few of the students on the student side. So I always, I said it's on my bucket list. I wanted to see that one time before I made transition. I want to be in the stadium when they play ball and parlay. It's a beautiful thing. So that's the other thing, the game. Game's important, but the game don't take precedence over the band and neither one of them take precedent over the fact they announced the crowd at Tuskegee last weekend at 31,000 people. I'm going to tell you right now, not even a third of them people could fit in that little stadium. Them Negroes had every kind of tent, every kind of lawn chair, every kind of barbecue, every kind of, I ain't never seen that many vehicles, them little Jeeps where they got the blasting sound. <laughs> the president of Tuskegee, Sister Morris, was in, in one of them Jeeps, they driving her down and behind her, there was a Jeep with the speakers and the, the unmentionable words coming out of those. I'm like, y'all know that's President Tuskegee in front of y'all. But they were selling every kind of roasted corn. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. And so that's what it means, homecoming. And then, of course, on Sunday, they have chapel. They'll have chapel tomorrow on campus at Howard. They had chapel at Tuskegee on Sunday. So we all got dressed and went down because they, you know, Bob Marie was there. You know, they they, they all want to take pictures of him, all the alphas, all the, the president. They took pictures of him in front of the statue of Booker T. Washington that is right there outside the chapel at Tuskegee. And that was a special moment for me because, you know, my mother as a child, as a little girl, Ran in the ran on that track, the Tuskegee Relays. They don't have the best track now. It's not the same place. But when she was a child, the, the HBCUs are something our young people aspire to. And so, you know, standing there with the family, standing there with the, you know, the alphas, standing there watching these people. And then one by one, these brothers came up and asked Dr. Kelsey to sign their church program. This 98-year-old man, the 75th, 75th anniversary of the chapter. These are the things. And, of course, right outside the chapter, Booker T. Washington is buried under a, a boulder that says Washington. And just beyond him is the grave of George Washington Carver. And just beyond that is a small cemetery in Tuskegee where some of the luminaries of Tuskegee are buried. And, of course, anytime I go down there, you got to pay respects. So let me see if I, I think I pulled a couple of the books here. So, you know, the idea of... Yeah, here we go. This brother and his wife are buried there. This is Monroe Nathan Work. Monroe Nathan Work was the director of research and records at Tuskegee. This is Linda McMurray's book on him, Recorder of the Black Experience, a biography of Monroe Nathan Work. Uh, Professor Work is buried there. Uh, he was the brother who tabulated lynchings in the United States, lynchings of African people. Uh, graduate of the University of Chicago, um, 1903, he started working at what is now Savannah State College. At that time, it was Georgia State Industrial College. He was very good friends with and in some ways disciple of W.E.B. Du Bois. Here's a book that you don't see a lot. And I'm going to show it to y'all. This is called The Encyclopedia of the Negro. You see? Encyclopedia of the Negro. I got this at an ex-libris sale, library sale. This is the Encyclopedia of the Negro. They were trying to do a, a, a project called The Encyclopedia of the Negro. On that committee, Mordecai Johnson from Howard, Charles Johnson from Fisk, Eugene Kinkle Jones, the National Urban League, Charles Thompson, a very important founder of the Journal of Negro Education, Florence Reed, who was president of Spelman, a white woman, actually. Du Bois was the editor, excuse me, the co-editor with Guy Johnson, who was in Atlanta, and Dr. Monroe Work, Tuskegee Institute. Let me see. Monroe Work, Tuskegee Institute. This is called the Encyclopedia of the Negro. They only published this slim volume, you see funded by the Phelps Stokes Foundation. A name you don't see on there is Carter Woodson because when they tried to get Woodson, Woodson was like, then white boys gonna get our money and they're gonna try to tell you what to do. 
always be careful when people give you money because if they're giving you money, they have an agenda and it may not be your agenda. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But the point is that, you know, my work is buried there. A number of other people are there. And so just took a moment, some of the presidents of Tuskegee took a moment there. And so the origins of homecoming at, at, at HBCUs are the same as origins of homecoming at HWCUs, except it's African people, which means it's our ways of knowing, our movement and memory, our cultural meaning making emptied into our governance structure. So you look for the origins of homecoming in the governance formations of African people at universities and colleges. You don't look for them in the origins of universities and colleges. That's going to be the white side. You look for them in the origins of when we gathered, when we returned home where we said, this is our place. And guess where that comes from? The church. Not tailgates and football games. Think Juneteenth and family reunions. Think what happens at churches. So the origins of HBCU homecomings, you see them in the black church. You see them after people made migrations, after enslavement, when people would move from a place. But every, once a year, they will return to the place. The Juneteenth rituals are very heavy with these things. So that's what you're looking for. You're looking for. It's funny, Coach George at Tennessee State, Eddie George, building building a really quality football program. He was concerned. He said this the other day. He said, you know, I'm concerned that our fans don't love football the way perhaps we can because they don't come to the games when we play the white schools in the same way they come to the black schools. Well, Brother George, uh, a Philadelphian from the Philadelphia area, uh, Ohio State University, where, of course, 100,000 rabbit screaming Buckeyes uh, will be there. And uh, Ohio, I feel, oh, yeah, I'm not going to get into that foolishness. But at any rate, they're going to come see you run up and down the field, Eddie. No no, no problem, Coach George. Tennessee State, we're going to come see you when we play Gramlin. We play Howard. When we play FAMU or we go to Memphis and play Jackson State. But if we play in McNeese State, yeah, I don't know. Tell you what, though. When we play those white schools and travel, we take more people to their stadium than they take to ours. And we bring our band. They don't even bring their band. Why? Because y'all don't want to be embarrassed. So, I mean, that's one of the hazards of joining these white conferences. Shout out to Hampton. This joined the white conference in the Big South. A&T has left. I understand the financial reasons, but what you do is upset your governance structure, your, your, your fan base, your people. It's like, yeah, I'm going to support, you know, I'm going to support the Aggies. Aggie pride, no question. But damn, we... Do I really want to go see you play this person from the Patriot League or the Big South? No, not really. So, I mean, it's a different kind of thing. And it's no battle of the bands. They got something called the fifth quarter at HBCUs. Y'all know that. Everybody knows HBCU life. Meanings after the game, the game is over. One loss, okay, that's great. Then people go home except the hardcore music lovers because the bands stay. Saturday night in Nashville, Tennessee State played Norfolk State for homecoming. We beat Norfolk State. Behold, the green and gold. I ain't mad at Norfolk State. Great, great program. Beautiful band. Powerful band. And the two bands stayed in the stadium after the game is over. Game over. The football team in the locker room and showered. But the people in the stadium, because now the band's going, you're going to play a song? I'm going to play a song. You're going to play a song? I'm going to play. We're going to have a battle of the bands in the stadium. So this is a different kind of structure. But you know, all of that, with the regional variations, there are global HBCUs. All HBCUs are global, but there are those who don't have a natural regional or place affinity. They draw from everywhere. Howard is one. Morehouse is one. Spelman is one in some ways, you know, in many ways. But those homecomings, to me, have a different mix of, say, conspicuous consumption and networking. You know, these are the Negroes, as my 
dear friend and brother now ancestor dean james donaldson who went to lincoln university undergrad he was the president of lincoln for a couple of years between permanent presidents he uh, took a leave as dean of the college of Washington sciences at howard and went up to serve his alma mater for a couple of years while they were looking for a president and dean donaldson <laughs> dean donaldson he, he's a floridian very easygoing guy uh he and his colleagues established the first phd program in mathematics at hbcu they did it at howard university he is a graduate of Lincoln, born in Florida, rural Florida, North Florida, Panhandle, uh, near the Georgia state line. Jim Donaldson, after he finished his degree at Lincoln, the Langston Hughes Lincoln, the Lincoln of uh, Pennsylvania, not Missouri, they would not let him go to graduate school in Florida. This is during Jim and Jane Crow, during U.S. apartheid, hardcore apartheid. And so he took an offer from the University of Illinois finished his PhD in mathematics at 26 years old. Brilliant, brilliant brother. Jim Donaldson would say, you know, Carl, I went to Lincoln's homecoming and yeah, I'm the president. So the alumni were there and they, you know, I'm an academic. I never made that much money. And I looked at my classmates. He talked like that. He had that kind of like a little bit of a draw. His voice was kind of high, even though the guy was six, four. So you see him and the voice that came out didn't match. <laughs> so, you know, Carl, I was there and my, you know, my, my friends were driving these magnificent town cars and Cadillacs. And I said, well, y'all have done quite well, quite well. And so he said, and then I, I Sunday, I, Sunday afternoon, I, I went to the airport and, and I saw my friends. At the, and then he would start laughing to himself and the laugh would be silent at first. And then he started laughing a little bit louder. He said, I, I came in a, and, and I noticed that the, at the rental car uh, uh, counter, they were, Carl, they were turning in the keys <laughs> to the car. <laughs> so conspicuous consumption. What E. Franklin Frazier in 1957, Black Bourgeoisie. In other words, I'm coming to homecoming to front. He said, all my friends have done quite well. Maybe I went in the wrong business. No, they was renting them cars, Dean. <laughs> they were renting them cars as president. So you see this kind of fronting. People putting a, you know, people come to homecoming to show out. I saw fur coats on Friday night in Montgomery at the AKAs who were also celebrating their 75th anniversary. Beautiful sequins blinged out. Oh my God. Uh, one of Bob Kelsey's grandsons was like, I've never seen this many sequins. This kid's like... 16 years old. So of course this is a this is a this is a this is a revelation to him to see these old ladies, these elders in this pink and green sequin uh, and then you see a fur. What the it's not that cold. No, this ain't about temperature, baby. This is about flexing. We got to flex. We're going to the hotel. Yeah, you got to see this. Ain't nobody mad. So, you know, you got the global universities where I think the percentage of that is a little higher, the networking and the you know, flexing, the conspicuous consumption. Then you got the local universities on the other end of the spectrum. It's whole town affairs. Tuskegee homecoming parade. This town of Tuskegee shuts down. Gramlin homecoming parade. The town of Gramling shuts down. Stillman or Oakwood, the town, you know. Then you have the betweeners. Those are the kind of regional universities with the big rivalries where you're going to get that small town feel depending on where you are. So FAM's uh, parade, it's going to be a lot of black Tallahassee show up. Tennessee State parade in North Nashville, it's going to be a lot of black Nashville show up. 
You're going to have Jackson State's parade. Most of Jackson, Mississippi, everybody in Jackson is going to know about it. And a lot of people in Jackson, the guy running for governor of Mississippi, the white dude, did a smart thing. He came to Jackson State homecoming and said he's going to support HBCUs. And when he was out there, the cats in the tailgate, the barbecue smoke well in the year, stopped in mid-speech and said, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but you're going to do that after you get in office and you're going to do it one time, you're going to do it. He said, I'm going to do it the whole time I'm in office. He said, yeah, okay, that's a smart move. Mississippi got enough black people to put that man in the state house and knock that Dollar General store toupee-wearing white supremacists out, Tate Reeves. But the point is that these regional universities, the bigger universities, are going to have a mix of, of that field. Now, there is an element that has been introduced. You know, college tours are big now. So people, you know, California, for example, doesn't have, well, they got one, Charles Drew. Charles Drew in the HBCU technically, but it is the black school, you know, it trains in medicine. Well, the state of California, you may have seen, Prof, you may have seen folk, they give, uh, they, they've created a program now, $5,000 one-time grants for students who are students of uh, community college graduates. they graduates of community colleges in California. They get a $5,000 one-time grant if they go to one of the, I think it's 39 HBCUs that are on the list. There are 39 schools. Cat, uh, I saw Claflin on there. I saw Hampton on there. There are 39 HBCUs. If they transfer the, their credits to those schools and take their associates there, California will get them a one-time $5,000 grant toward their tuition. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. It's called the California Community College HBCU Transfer Partnership. And uh, in fact, one of the two sets of parents, uh, two mothers, one sister, like I said, who's a Nubian, she's probably in here now, brought her son and to sit in our class, went to see Mario, went to see Dr. Beatty, and then came sat in our class the whole time. And the other sister, she from California, she brought her son. They're both uh, seniors. You know, they're both looking at Howard. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the, the couple from California, they're going to be at Morehouse and Spellman's uh, graduation, uh, uh, homecoming this coming week. Uh, they're going to go down there. And I said, well, get your, get your mind right, because that's a whole nother thing. So it's a beautiful thing to see these young people. They come from all the way from California, of course. Um, but homecomings at HBCUs identify with community, not academics. You don't really see faculty mentioned a lot unless people are coming back. And then students, most old students always come back to see me. Not as many now as they used to. I think the shift in homecoming and COVID has something to do with it. But all of that in the context of a time of war, which is where I want to end today. In a time of war, what is home? What does it mean to have homecoming? You know, um, last week in Montgomery, between Montgomery and, Te and Tuskegee on the road back and forth and spending time walking around in Montgomery, and then spending time in Tuskegee just being still, there's a lot more I want to think about and process in that because, you know, universities have often turned, have really turned toward being employment training bureaus and networking places. But for us, they have to be something else. They've always been something else. And looking at that Jeff Davis statue and looking at that Dixie marble pillar in, in, next near Dexter Avenue Church, you know, within a block, all of this on land that used to be the creek. In fact, talk about displacement. Here, as we talk about this time of war, this is uh, Oklahoma's, this is a, this is a book called uh, Long Road to Liberty, Oklahoma's African-American History and Culture. And it is, uh, uh, it's not a lot of nice graphics in it, but these are representatives of the five nations of indigenous people who were driven from Georgia, from Alabama, where we were, which is Creek country, Mississippi, all the way across to Oklahoma, the so-called Trail of Tears that you mentioned, Prof. And this is displacement. 
This is displacement. I mean, the idea, the creek land, no longer creek land. And thinking about that in a moment when people are being displaced, when the papers announced today, this is today's Financial Times, Israel to cut Gaza links after war and push for new security reality. What does that mean? That means we ain't giving y'all water, we ain't electricity no more. Once this war is over, we're going to cut you out. Okay, so that means they're going to have their own state? No, we didn't say that. Right. Just like these people here, you put them in a state you call the territory, Oklahoma, except they supposed to have, they have more rights as indigenous people in North America and the United States than the Palestinians have. But it's both settler colonialism. Don't get cute with it. So I appreciate Brother Twitty wrestling with this because Jew, Jewish is not a race. Jewish is not a color. Jewish is a way of knowing and it's got a lot of different people in it. So it's going to be a lot of things going back and forth. And, 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 and me trying to work through this, what happens when we restore memory? So let me kind of reset here as we kind of wind on this last section. The African studies framework that we have developed is designed to have us raise questions, raise questions in order to restore full African contributions to these challenges of human existence. Not to be separate as African people, but to say, we've got something to say to the world that will be helpful, just as we've said before. Du Bois talks about that. We can't do that absent our memory. But what happens when you restore memory? I'm talking about deep memory. I ain't talking about we got off the boat slaves and now we got Barack Obama. No, that's that, that that's silly memory. That's, that's social structure memory. That's the kind of memory that will tell you that you stand with something because your former captors now have folded you in and mashed your memory down so you think that their memories are your memories. And their memories are fake, right, Bill Maher, who has not go back to the founding fathers of this criminal enterprise, but actually goes back to Hungary and Ireland, right? Donald Trump and Joe Biden coming from Ireland and Germany, coming to right, Ron DeSantis, Italy, right? No, no, words. You, no, no, your whiteness is recently acquired and you folded it into a criminal enterprise narrative, a social structure narrative, and then you want us to bury, to carry the burden of it by saying, see, the American Negro, they are the greatest example of, they're the most American. And then you got some of us saying, that's right, we're the most American. Okay, I know you got a fat check and a fat bag for that documentary in that book, but you're killing us. You're killing us because when you do that, when they go somewhere and you saw Joe Biden, you saw the mummy go up in that last week in, in, in Israel and say, oh, that hospital in Gaza, it wasn't bomb. It was no. It was bombed by the other team. Now, what did we say last week about treating this like it's some kind of sporting event? Nobody was happier than me last night when Dusty Baker's Astros, uh, in the ninth inning, rallied and Jose Altuve, the young, the, the, the second baseman, hit a home run and the Astros won. I'm always gonna cheer for Johnny B. Baker, but this ain't that, Joe, bruh. What's wrong with you, man? What's wrong with you? The other team. What kind of what kind of what kind of rhetoric is that? Do you really want to lose the next election? Because people are already turned off and pissed off. But it'll be even worse if you get them white nationals in, because at that point they bring a Bible in. Well, that, that's not true because they don't even read the Bible. They're gonna anyway. I'm not gonna get into that. The point is this. The point I'm making is this. What happens when we restore memory? The more we remember, then we have to grapple with the question of what we do with those memories. The self-determination. The saying, we're going to stand in our own space and speak to the world and invite people in and be in conversation and build toward our common humanity, but we're going to do it from a place we control, from a home. Does doing that require a home base, a place to stand? 
that enables, requires, that feeds our ability to be fully human collectively in the world. Standing at a HBCU homecoming, you are in a black space. You are in a maroon space. That is an African equivalent to the degree that we can get it in this criminal enterprise set the colony, set the state from colonies. That is the equivalent of standing in a, an indigenous reservation. It's not the same, but it's space that we can be we. And when you see people with their grandchildren, when you see elders embracing, when you see classmates from 30, 40, 50, 60, in Dr. Kelsey's case, my God, 75 years ago. My God. <laughs> when you see them in the chapel singing their alma mater, and I, I, I love all the HBCU alma maters, but I think Tuskegee's might got everybody beat because it talks about service and Mother Tuskegee. And one thing that I like about Tuskegee is it's an indigenous word, like Tennessee, Tennessee State. I'm not real bold about putting white people's names on my chest, even if it's an HBCU. I don't care whether it's General Oliver Oldest Howard or Laura Spellman Rockefeller or Henry Morehouse. I'm really not keen on it. I'll do it and I have done it and will continue to do it. But I like it when it's at least an indigenous word, you understand? And so in this season of homecomings and thinking about the meaning of home, what is the meaning of home? You know, when, you know, I think about, of course, Charlie Smalls, the great uh, songwriter who wrote the lyrics to Home and the Wiz. And Stephanie Mills says, you know, when I think of home, I think of a place where there's love overflowing. I wish I was home. I wish I was back there with the things I've been knowing. I mean, you know, you always want to go home. Now you got to leave home to come home and you bring what you've learned. And those definitions of home are very important. Sometimes home ain't that cute. You think about the great Gil Scott Heron, his famous, beautiful, tortured and revelatory song. Home is where the hatred is. A junkie walking through the twilight. I'm on my way home. I left three days ago. No one seems to know I'm gone. Home is where the hatred is. Home is filled with pain. And it might not be such a bad idea if I never, never come home again. He's a junkie. He don't want to come home and visit that on his people. He don't want them to see him like that. In his song, All the Places We've Been, he bringing all that stuff back. In fact, I was rereading this great special issue of Southern Exposure, Southern Black Utterances Today. And in this, it talks about, you know, when you come home, you don't want your people to see you in a certain state. And when you talk about the South, this is from, uh, when did they publish this? Uh, this was from the uh, 1975. But I love this volume because the special editor of this volume of poetry and photography and about black people in the South, in the U.S. The special uh, editor of this volume is the great Tony K. Bambara. Tony K. Bambara, Southern Black Utterances Today. I felt all of this in Alabama last week. And I know that those people who are on the West Bank, the West people, the people in Gaza, you got to bring home with you, but home is also where the hatred is. You could play that Gil Scott Heron song and think about what's going on right now. So what is the definition of home? You know, you know, as the, War intensifies. What does it mean? What does it mean to have a home? To not have one? Or to want to be able to and not be able to come and go home? 
So let's look at some definitions of home very quickly. One is, you know, we look at the ancient Egyptian. We do that because in our Africana states framework, we ground ourselves in the oldest traditions and then we compare them as we come through time and space. Not to go back there to stay, you can't do that, that's absurd, but to bring forth genealogies that we are defining for ourselves. I am not from England. So Beowulf, that's great. Middle English, Old English, that's fine. But guess what? As your great, 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 grandfather, it would be foolish of me to go to the child for a definition when our definitions continue to resonate. So among the Egyptians, you have the word per, per, P-E-R, as we would pronounce it, but it's a picture of an enclosure. It means house. That don't mean home, as we know from Lucy Vandross. But permijat, that means house of books. Per where uh, the great house, or per um, ua, pharaoh is what they would say now. The great house is a concept of a, a house, but peri, which is a word in ancient Egyptian that is derived from per, from house, that means to come and go, movement, to come out of, to come out of, to, to reveal a secret. So this is what we do here. I'm going to reveal some of this to you. So you see people coming to HBCU homecomings who are not of African descent. They just want to see what's the secret. Because I heard about it in Ludacris song. I heard Biggie talking about it. Mm -hmm, you can come. We're not going to change what we're doing. You can come. We ain't going to stop you either, but we're not going to stop ourselves. It, you know, Perry also means, you know, to, 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 to go forth and come back engaged in something like a war, to protect your home, to come through something. So that made me think about Gaza and West Bank as well and Israel. The idea of protecting your home. You know, the UN uh, the UN had a resolution condemning the violence and the United Nations, uh, the United States vetoed it last week because they said it didn't include language on Israel's right to self-defense. They fighting in the United Nations right now because mass commercial uh, entertainment news media is showing one side. And I say one side as if there are two sides. As we said last week, there were a number of sides. But, you know, you see people that CNN's on the ground and you see these folk coming in saying, CNN, you promote genocide, genocide. Oh, now you stuck. Now you stuck because you live. What you going to do? You can't come in here and make this a sporting event. But for the uh, the Oxford English Dictionary, you know, well, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me go to another one. Among the Yoruba people, you have a word, ile. Ile means house, right? Ile. Ile ife the oldest, the spiritual center of Yoruba ways of knowing, what we might call Ifa, Ile Ife. There's a great book by Jacob Olapona called uh, City of 201 Gods, where he talks about this being the sacred city in Southwest Nigeria, in uh, Oshun State, Yoruba land. This is the place we come for renewal. This is the place people travel from all over the world. Maxine Kamari Clark's book, uh, Mapping Yoruba Networks. People traveling from all over the world. Got to go to Ile Ife. Got to go to the place. You see um, Babatunde Olatunji in his song, Akiwowo, which was on the uh, 1960 Drums of Passion uh, album. Akiwowo, Take me to the house of my father. Everybody want to go home. What happens when you ain't got no home to go to? Or where home, if home is where the hatred is. In a moment of homecoming at HBCUs, everybody want to, I ain't go here. Don't matter where you come on. Come on, get your plate. Come on, listen to this band. If it's sunny or gray, we're going to ball and parlay. Wow, yeah, come on, bring your children to the parade. 
so they can see what the future looks like. It's a beautiful thing. And, and so in Yoruba, you see this idea, time, space, imagination, come home. Now the Oxford English Dictionary, we go to the European and we see some interesting definitions. I wrote a couple of them down. I don't even know if I put, brought my card over here because I know we, we're going over, but the, the idea, yes, in Old English and part of Middle English, is the word home means a village or town or a collection of dwellings. Okay. That, but it's not used anymore. That's an archaic use. Now it's more like a dwelling place, an abode, a, final, a, a, a residence, a family residence, a seat of domestic life and interests. Now, I don't like looking up stuff on the internet unless it's a source I know. So I go to the Oxford English Dictionary. I got the whole volumes over there. You go and look and look for the etymology. It's a place of one's dwelling and one's nurturing. It's a, a, a point uh, aimed at regeneration. You go home to regenerate. What happens if you ain't got no home? HBCU Homecoming is public coming to regenerate. It's also a point of a thing that you aim at, that you're trying, if you're trying to hurt something, you damage it. Or if you're trying to make something effective, you hit it. In other words, the heart of the matter, the heart, the home of the matter, the thing itself, the essence. Think about that. That's very much, it's also like the ultimate destination. Like your grave, your final resting place, that's where your home is going to be. And if you think about it, that regeneration is very important. Think about the idea of Black people going back to the South. That's why I love Southern HBCU homecomings, Deep South, because DC technically in the South. I'm talking about Deep South. Why? Because it reminds me of uh, uh, Pearly Victorious. We did Pearly when I was in undergrad at, at, at Tennessee State. I played Pearly, in fact. <laughs> and there's a song in the Pearly, uh, in Pearly, the, the musical. Um, What's the brother who was in Hamilton? He's playing Pearly now on Broadway. Uh, Leslie. Uh, what's Leslie, Leslie Odom. Leslie Odom. Beautiful, man. Talented brother. He's playing Pearly. And I said, I got to go see this because I played Pearly. I want to see this brother do it on Broadway in the way. And there's a song that he plays with the sister. Uh, with the sister. Uh, Davida Gibson was the sister who played opposite me. She's an ancestor now. It's called Down Home. The ties of home that bind us strong. And Georgia is my home, sweet Lord. We talking about down home, down home. People talk about going down home. You're going home for regeneration. But what happens if you don't have a song? Oxford English Dictionary going through the English language in particular. They go through the German and the French, but then they get to the English. And they say home, which is, has its origin in the English. You can tell these English words because they're usually not uh, polysyllabic anyway heart fist stick <laughs> home home also means in this genie in its etymology uh it means native land every time i sing lift every voice and sing i throw my fist in the air true to our god true to our native land you want to lose your money bet that i'm talking about the united states of america i'm never talking about the united states of america and i'm sure the johnson brothers were but I'm also sure that most of us who threw that fist up in the air, if you put your fist up in the air, I know you ain't thinking about that red, white, and blue, blood-drenched settler state flag. I know you're not. And it's okay, because when you say native land, people can take from it what they need to hear. But at the same time, home means where your place, who is your place? Our fight is for home. And guess what? We don't be thinking about that flag. Your friend and brother, Roy Wood Jr., when he does that comedy bit about Black people thinking about America, we talking about the cities we from. We talk about the places we from. The play. We're not talking about the large enterprise. So when they come up and say, 
we stand with no that's you that's you mommy and you narrating like a like a game you need guess what there there are protests all over this country all over the world there's a big one in dc today i must slide through there at some point but it's also finally a place of refuge home a place of refuge a place of rest a place for those who have been harmed where one is free from attack this is the place that one is trying to reach can we just let people be at home go home what does it mean to be involuntary displaced? Whether you're a trailer tears, whether you're in Africa town in Mobile, like when we read Barracoon in, in, in office hours, that's the place from which you wage your most effective resistance. Uh, Jesse Guzman, we stopped by the headquarters of the Tuskegee Civic Association. There's Jesse Parkhurst Guzman, who was uh, who followed um, Monroe Work, who was Monroe Work's assistant for decades. And then he passed away and she took over publishing this, the Negro Yearbook. This is a bad sister right here. Everybody should know her. Jesse Pankhurst, Parkhurst Guzman. We drove by her house, which is now the Tuskegee Alumni House. So alumni can chill there. Right across the street from it is the headquarters of this Tuskegee Civic Association. This is the group that filed the lawsuits. And who filed those lawsuits on their behalf? The same brother born in Montgomery, practiced law in Tuskegee. To this day, we went by his law office, saw the building. That's the great Fred Gray. Fred Gray, 92 years old, still practicing law. Fred Gray, from a place that we control, from a home, said, I'm going to destroy everything segregated. Fred Gray, Martin Luther King's lawyer, Rosa Parks' lawyer, Claudette Colvin, Claudette Colvin's lawyer, Charles Gamillion, Gamillion versus Lightfoot, the voting rights case that triggered the voting rights revolution in the country. That's where we were last Saturday and Sunday, last Friday, in Tuskegee, in Montgomery. This is where the war took place. And you don't win by turning your identity, your home, over to other people. We didn't get hardcore to Palestine today, but I want to I want to pause there. I will mention one other thing. I want to say, Doctor Wright, Tyreen Wright. Uh, it was a good thing to see her. I had a copy of uh, Tyreen's book, but I didn't have a signed copy. We stand in front of the Booker T. Washington Monument, and she said, "Oh, Doctor Carr, I, I brought some copies of my book. This is Booker T. Washington and Africa: The Making of a Pan Africanist." This is Tyreen Wright. Very excellent book on Booker T. Washington's ties and attitudes toward the continent of Africa. It's complicated. Who we are to other people is different than who we are to each other. And whether it be your home, this isn't to exclude anybody in Israel. I'm reading, I got a shelf of book over here now dealing with this Palestine-Israel conflict. We'll probably continue more talking about this next week. But uh, Yoram Yannick, I may put this book down, Commander of the Exodus. This is about the commander of a ship this ship, 20, more than 24,000 displaced Holocaust survivors were sent to Palestine. Guess who was trying to stop them? On July 18, 1947, a rickety ship carrying nearly 4,500 Holocaust survivors approached the Haifa border harbor and was attacked by a British Navy intent on keeping the refugees out of Palestine. So you know what it's like not to have a home, trying to get a home. The very people who told you come down here tell you not to come down here. And then you fast forward to 2023 and you're trying to block a crossing and cut off everybody's electricity and water. What the hell is going on? Have you taken on the habits of these people who were persecuting you in the first place? You got to speak truth to power. It's my man, Manny Mirable. And I should probably stop with that. If you want to read about Fred Gray, I would recommend... Uh, Bus Ride to Justice. This is his memoir. Also, Alabama versus King. This is him. A more recent book. This came out last year. And so think about, I'll show you to you one more time. There's Alabama versus King. 
and this is bus ride to justice you see here so i'm gonna stop there and uh we'll pick up next week but again homecomings in time of war what is home as african people we should be thinking about this the way these rah-rah people thinking about it because it ain't the same thing Hold the books up again, because I, I erroneously uh, gave a wrong, wrong view. Hold on. This is Bus Ride to Justice. This is Fred Gray. Uh, That's him with Martin Luther King. Young cat, man. You believe that? He said, Dr. King, the Kings came to Dexter Avenue the same month or same year. Well, he's going to tell us himself in a minute that he passed the Alabama bar. There's only two black lawyers in the state of Alabama, him and the guy who had passed just before him. And Fred Gray said, I'm coming down here to destroy everything segregated. His office now sits in a square with one street named for Martin Luther King, another street named for Rosa Parks. And when we rolled around there Saturday, I seen the, I seen, I seen the, <laughs> I seen the statue, the Confederate statue that's in the square when them UDC statues, that they prefab UDC statues. I was the United Dollars of Confederates. I said, why does the, why does it have a tarp on it? And sure enough, in office hours, in office hours on Monday night in Nubia, our brother Eric, who is from there, said, Fred Gray about to get that statue. Because the law says you can't touch these statues if they're on private property. So what the UDC was, get these little patches of, like in Macon County, get little patches. Well, guess what? Oh, no, it's, I'm, I know it's time. We don't, we don't pass the time. The, um, the bottom line is that Fred Gray is not going to be satisfied until that Confederate statue comes down from in front of his office in downtown Tuskegee. So I'm going to end with that and we'll we'll pick up next week. Before we do that and let's bring them in. Before we do that, this um unfortunately probably will be going off for some time. Um yeah. And uh it's just really really hard as I was talking with Michael Twitty and you brought up the Wiz. I talked to Shelly Williams, uh the Wiz is oh. making the crown. You know, like you know, we need a teaspoon of sugar to help this medicine go down. There's, there's, there's joy. So those of you who can catch the whiz wherever it is, I think it's in Cleveland this weekend, and it's it's gonna be in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. It's gonna be in L.A. before it comes to Broadway. Uh, I think in November or March. No, March. Uh, so the whiz is coming back, and for those of us who got to see it when we were little, which I did, you know. Um, yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah, I had the worst in the best seats at the same time. Um, <laughs> I, I, was, I remember, like it was yesterday, Stephanie Mills, um, hitting battle. Like I, I just remember uh, the the talent and and the feeling of being transformed and transfixed in a moment in time. And they've updated it. Brent brought in some Louisiana Treme, you know, some some of that. Like yeah, so she's Shelly Williams, Aida. You know, Tony Award winner. She is. She's coming, and she also wrote a book, Your Legacy, which is a children's book that that harkens. I think you've held it up a few times. Yeah, absolutely. You've talked to her. Yeah. Yeah. She's got, she's got a, another book for kids. So as we build our children's libraries, you know, let's let's affirm uh, their memory as well. So that legacy book, Your Legacy, is part of that. Uh, but she she wanted to make sure she got it right. She wanted to make sure that she honored honored the because you know it was a period piece. She wanted to honor. The, the the feeling and the values and and you know uh what many of us and I had so many people call up to say they saw it with their parents and one brother <laughs> said he saw it when he was a little boy and he's bringing his mother and then another woman called up and said she saw it as a little girl and she's bringing her grandchildren and there are very few places that we can be home together to to gather and watch something we can't watch TV together because you know the TV is a little 
<laughs> it's, it's kind of ratchet. Like multi generations cannot just sit and watch television right. together. You know, uh, but that's something that we can do. So uh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, should I? Yes, yes. Do it all. Do it all. No, 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 I'm not either. Because we're going back together. I just, it just, it just reminded me when you said that, um, that people are. We and again, we listen to Fred Gray. I just want to say this very quickly because when you started with our brother Michael Twitty, who didn't have a filter, we understand there's a risk associated this with this. People are building imaginary homes and they want us to build with them because it's to their advantage. You should be able to stand for anybody's common humanity. I'm thinking about people who were run out of their homes. People like Ilhan Omar ran out of East Africa and found a home in in Minnesota, bringing her identity and bringing her people there and elected from a district that is overwhelmingly not her. Somehow being accosted because she was staying for everybody's common humanity. Somebody like Rashida Tlaib who I know when we were in uh, Detroit for the reparations for the Encobra conference a few years ago, you know, she came over to sit and talk with us and have conversation. And, you know, this is a sister, you know, you look at Dearborn, Michigan, a lot of Palestinians, a lot of Arab Americans there, but the point is that they're not Americans. Why? Because American means white. And anybody says it doesn't mean white. Look at how people are treating people who don't fit, who didn't melt down Bill Maher, who didn't melt down Andrew DeSantis, who didn't melt down Joe Biden, who didn't melt down. In other words, how are you treating these people who are saying this killing must stop. Rashida Tlaib didn't say Israel can't exist. Yohan Omar said, you know, Israel has a right to exist, but you want to crucify them because they don't look like you. We're going to roll over you like the ocean because you're not part of our common humanity right now. You're listening to the lesser devils of your mind. You need to go to the better and we're going to help you with it. That's what I mean, roll over. We're going to remake you or it's not going to be no making. And I wanted to say that because home for them is wherever they can find it. When you got to carry your home in your memory and carry your home, and even while people who are living are still suffering, like Rashida Tlaib's family, like Ilhan, Ilhan Omar's people, you got to think about this. America means white for a lot of people, and they fighting like hell to keep it that way. And I want to end with uh, this is from uh, Raja uh, Shahada going home, a walk through 50 years of occupation. I'm reading this too. I'm thinking about in part in memory of my dear friend and brother, Sammy Aish. Sammy was a Palestinian who was a member of the Black Law Students Association, Belithia Watkins and myself. We were all law classmates. And um, Sammy joined Balsa because he said, I feel at home with y'all. Now he's Palestinian. We Af- of African descent and we didn't blink our eye. He with us. And I remember one time he gave us these uh, the scarves. Right, the Palestinian. Well, there, there are many scarves in in Palestine. Um, but the scarf he gave us is the one that you often see affiliated with the Palestinian people. The uh, the scarf that talks about, you know, that has among its symbols like it looks like a lattice work, and then he got the squiggly lines representing the river and and prosperity. Anyway, oh man, it's a lot of people. That, a lot of our classmates were hot. I went to I was in law school with a, with a, one of the children of Les Wexner who owned the limited Victoria's secret. We see now that he's pulling all this money out of the schools. He said, I'm taking this money away from this school donation. You saw John Huntsman take 10, $20 million from the university of Pennsylvania saying they're teaching hate. They're teaching hate. Your money is yours to do what, what you should do with your money, what you want to do with it. But let's be very clear about this. We need to follow suit with our resources. So you got to support these spaces like this. And this is the quote finally that Raja Shahada opens his book going home in. This is a, a brother who walked the streets of Ramallah who talked about this. And I've got a couple of books I'm reading now about, you know, by Jewish authors 
who also have gone and spent time in these spaces and said, we got to speak to our common humanity. This is the quote. It's from James Baldwin, Giovanni's Room. Palestinian quoting African person in the United States. Baldwin says, perhaps home is not a place, but simply an irrevocable condition. Mm. So maybe home is where they can't make you do what they want you to do just because they want you to do it. So right now we are home in this space. And I want to thank you for that, Professor Hunter. But it's a revocable condition. We call it narrative in Nubia. Thank you. Mm. Class. Mm. Yeah, but it couldn't be any of that without all of us. Oh, no question. All so, of us. So, yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, you, you're making me think so many things, and I know we're gonna we're gonna run. Uh, but fortunately, yeah. we have office hours to continue the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Monday night. And, and you know, I know no everyone's not gonna read all of the books that you're reading. But if you no. don't do some deep study before you open your mouth, uh, you are doing more harm than good. Uh, no you are not speaking from, you know, the recesses of your dingleberries. You are speaking from mm. the recesses of your mind and your heart, but also from your study. And it's why I can shut up and sit back and listen. And it's why I can be corrected in real time because, you know, we are all learning, you know, yes. and the humility of that. Me of too. Not yeah. knowing. No, but the humility of not knowing should provide us with the, the fertile ground to learn, right. To just be okay with what we don't know. Yes. Um, there's a lot of noise right now. There's a lot of opinions and there's a lot of emotions. Yes. Yes. But at the end of the day, people are dying. And if that doesn't, move you to say stop mm. that these human beings are worthy of life whether mm. you agree with them or not that yes. you know um and, and we shouldn't even have to equivocate we shouldn't have to you know qualify that all Pal palestinians are not hamas we shouldn't even have to do that we shouldn't have to defend you know do you support terrorism because mo nobody and if you do um you know, because we do see people carrying tiki torches that support terrorism. We see people in Congress that support terrorism. We That's watched right. we watched an act of, of open terror uh, on January 6th, and we see people supporting that. That's right? right. We know that it is possible, but the vast majority of people do not. No. You know, how you show that is by how you show up. So, Teach. so we're going to show up. We're going to show up for humanity, and we're going to not be quiet about it. So Teach. I appreciate you appreciate uh, providing you. us with the knowledge because I'm confident in it. I love Everybody, you. listen. I love you too. Listen, we have to protect each other because what Professor Hunter, what you just said, what she just said, that's at the heart of all of it. Thank you. And we got to protect each other. As OED is fine in English, home means very little if you can't protect it. It's got to be a refuge. This is a refuge for us. That, Like you said, that shouldn't even be controversial. People should be able to live. Thank you, Professor. Hunter. Love you. All right, let's let's sit with the elder who looks yes. the damn same. By the way, you said he's ninety. <laughs> he looks 90 great. Oh, I saw him. He's uh, yes, yes, very great. <laughs> oh, I love it. A resident of uh, Tuskegee, Alabama, born in Montgomery, and a recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom Award today. The, the question of color, and this for all African Americans is that you were born that way, because we all are. However, in this country, since we were brought here as slaves, it has been a struggle from 1608 forward to do away with the vestiges of slavery and segregation and reconstruction. So we have had to really work with it. So from 
When I was born, I had the problems. I recognized it as a youth. I saw problems we were having on buses in Montgomery. I wanted to try to do something about it. They told me that lawyers help people and I decided I wanted to be a lawyer and wanted to end up doing away with the race problem that created it. And we certainly hope that what has happened here today will help others to see if it could happen to this African-American 91, it can happen to them at an earlier age. When Dr. King came to Montgomery, nobody knew about him. He became pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church uh, the same week that I was admitted to the Alabama Supreme Court to practice law in 1954. I immediately began to work on civil rights cases. He was just working on as a new pastor of a relatively a very educated con uh, conservative church as far as race is concerned because most of those members were employed by governmental bodies and everybody then as far as employers were concerned believed in segregation. However, when Claudette Carvin was arrested in March of 55 and Mrs. Parks was arrested in December of 55, the community decided that enough is enough and we need to solve these problems. So both of those persons obtained me to be their lawyers and they ended up deciding we wanted to stay off of the buses. I was concerned about the legal aspect. Joanne Robinson and others were concerned about mass participation. We brought it together and as a result of that, and as a result of the trial against Dr. King for the anti-boycott movement, we ended up introducing Dr. King to the nation, but not only that, the beginning of the civil rights movement. And I think it, all of that helped to contribute to what has happened here today, for which I am thankful. Mm. Wait a minute, hold on. Let me get this lady off of here. Um, Dr. Carr, first of all, uh, thank you for that. Um, also, as I'm, watching, as, I'm, as I'm watching this, you know, um, he became a lawyer because he wanted to serve. He wanted to solve a problem. He wanted to serve. He wanted to over, overturn racism. Yes. And he found out that the law was a way to do it, you know. And there's, there's something about doing things with a purpose that I think that is something for all of us, right? You teach. You don't just teach. You're not just teach. You would teach. You would teach for no money. I know that you teach every place you go. Same, same, right? Um, it's because it's what dr drives us. And if you don't have something that drives you, please find that. We need y'all. We need people whole uh, yes. doing the thing that they were put here to do. So I'm I'm grateful for that. And I'm gonna sit with Mr. Fred Gray uh, today. And I'm so glad he's still here. Yeah, and still practicing law. I suspect if you get your team to reach out, maybe you can get him on the radio. That would be something because you teach teaching right. the world. Yeah, well, well, we heard, you know, we heard Monday night. He said, you know, well, we can get him in the Nubia, but it'd be something to put him on serious. Let yeah, Fred Gray have a conversation with Fred Gray. <laughs> this is the man, like Browder versus Gale. People talk about Rosa Parks. He was the one that filed the lawsuit. And, and, and Rosa Parks and Claudette Colvin were his clients. 
He's the one that Alabama versus King, when the New York Times came out, we talk about Sullivan versus New York Times, whatever, this freedom of speech case. It was Fred Gray. The, the Times, they went after the Times in Alabama because of what Fred Gray was doing because they was going to put King in jail, Alabama versus King. It's all Fred Gray, and he's still here, <laughs> still <Thank> swinging. <laughs> so anyway, yes, thank okay. you. Love you so love much. You. Love you too. All right, we'll see you in the Nubian streets. Nubian streets. <laughs> all right, bye everyone. Love you.